0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. What a great day to be here, and just a time of thanksgiving. And I'm I'm just so thankful that you have decided to come and worship with us here at DBC. If this is your first time of worshiping with us, uh, my name is Chad. I, I have the pleasure of pastoring uh, this group of people and kind of shepherding them and and really delivering God's word week to week. And I just want to greet you as as the pastor of this church, but maybe even if you would allow me to be your pastor, um, if you would choose to stay here at this church. Um, we are uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 15 today, and this is our, our first week of a new series, so if this is like your first time to DBC, this is kind of perfect for you, um, we don't just uh, go through and just do messages. A lot of times we'll do a series where we want to go deep into a subject or around an idea. Um, we just got done with a 10-week series, and this one is going to be four weeks, and it's actually going to end on Christmas Eve. And then we're going to have a standalone message, and then we're going to jump into uh, something new and, uh, and equally exciting in January. But uh, just by way of, of starting uh, this morning, who, who would... Who would love to be at the beach? Like who? Who would like wish to be at the beach? And it was like eighty-five degrees right now. Anyone? Anyone? Eighty-five. What is it? Too hot? I mean, y'all are picky. Come on. Did y'all actually go outside today? It's it's rather chillish. You know. Say again. Go to the. All right. I'm with that. Uh, I'm with that. But you know. It, Many of you love the beach, and we, we would love to be at the beach right now. So I just want to kind of briefly tell just kind of a story. About this time of year, there's something that, that really correlates with the beach. When you go to the beach, right... And you go, it doesn't matter how big a fellow you are, it doesn't matter how big or small, when you go to the beach, this is your story every time you go to the beach, right? If you go up to the, at the beach, and you like walk upon the shore, and you just like, you're a tough guy, right? You may be 6'5", you may be 280, I'm none of those things, but maybe me times two, maybe I am, I don't know, but you know, you kind of go to the beach and do your thing, and you like walk into the water, eventually, when you go and stand there, no matter how much you try and brace yourself, you cannot push back the waves, Right? As a matter of fact, you could try and bristle up and try to hold yourself back from the waves, but eventually those waves are going to take you down. No matter how, how strong you are, how big you are, how tough you are, and all of those things... How big of an ego you have, it doesn't matter. The waves are still bigger than you. And oftentimes when it comes into this time of year, a lot of times many of us, and maybe I'm the only one, but that's okay because this is going to be like this is medicine for my soul today. This is the journey that God's had me on, but I believe it would be the same for you. A lot of times this time of year, we just get kind of like, just like crushed by the wave of the season. And and we go to the, you know, we go to, to a department store in, like, the week before Halloween, and then all of a sudden they're put up Christmas trees, right? And we're like, are you kidding me? I'm like, we haven't even done the trick-or-treating thing yet. We haven't even ate turkey yet. Like, I'm still dreaming of, like, the turkey and, and you know, and the pumpkin pie and pecan pie or pecan pie, you know, equal opportunities, however you pronounce it. And, like, we we, like, we just kind of... It seems like our culture just pushes us, just this wave of pushing us right from one holiday to the next, to the next, to the next, and all of a sudden what it does to me, and it just wears on my soul, all it makes me want to do is the more the culture pushes the seasons on me, it makes me just wish, I'm just telling you, it makes me just kind of wish they were over and it was January and we could just start something new. But what if it could be different? What if this Christmas season, as we're just kind of talking about admin, and that word means to come, and just the coming of Jesus, what if during this time of Christmas we just kind of put the brakes on a little bit, and we just said, you know what, yeah, culturally, I know there's things going on, and we've got family coming in town, and we've got Christmas shopping to do, we've got all that stuff, and we've got too much food we're going to eat. I get all of that. But what if we were just to stop and say, you know what, I want to be changed this holiday season. I don't want to just go on the, the roller coaster of consumerism to where now I'm being force-fed like right through Christmas and, and, and instead of just pushing back to say, ah, oh, I just wish it were all over. What if in our hearts and our minds and our souls we could just sit back and say, you know what? I want to be changed this Christmas. So like the little sub-theme for this, this series and in, in, in the idea of Advent and the coming of Jesus and just his, his birth is what if we were just take. Just take time to prepare for him while we're preparing for them. And whoever the them is. The the, the them for you is we're taking time to prepare for him. Prepare our hearts for for the coming of Jesus and just, just all of what Christmas should be about while we're preparing for them. And the them is your family's coming in town. Your them is your small group's gonna have a gathering. Your them is you're gonna go to a work Christmas car, Christmas party that you probably don't want to go to, but you feel obligated to because your boss says, hey, you need to go to the Christmas party, right? And after all, you're gonna get a ham, so you gotta go to the Christmas party. Or however that works out for you. You know, but, but what if we were just to sit back this season and say, you know what? I just want to allow, I just, I want to prepare for him while I'm preparing for them. And you know what? And we know Christmas is coming. We know the parties are coming. We know the season is coming. We know there's business coming. But I believe even in the midst of all of that chaos, I believe that if we were to sit back and we were to kind of reflect upon God's word, and we would allow this season of Advent, and a- Advent it does mean to come, but also it's it's a season. It's it's known as the four weeks prior to Christmas, and allow just we'll just kind of maybe marinate in the Word of God, maybe just deepen your prayer walk, maybe just invite a little family worship into into your schedule, into your flow of life, that you and your loved ones could be changed this Christmas. See, for me, I. I, I'll just be honest with you, Christmas has, has been something that I have, I've, I've struggled with this, and I have I have a time that should be just of joy, I have been joyless, but the Lord pressed into me about a month ago, and he says, you know what, it doesn't have to be that way, it doesn't have to be that way, and, and I've just, and I've committed to this, that it's not going to be that way this year for me, that no matter whatever I, I, changes I have to make for myself and my family, I... I I'm going to live in the joy of the Lord like he wants me to. And I believe for us, we have to have a starting point for this series. For us to just go into it and just start reading and and all of these things, I think we have to, to really know why it is that Jesus came in the first place. If we don't go back to why Jesus came, we will start to think, we will not really appreciate everything about his coming to begin with. So the, the, the question that's going to be answered today is, why did Jesus come in the first place? Why did he come in the first place? I know that even in this place, that we're probably not all Christians. And I want to welcome, if you're not a Christian and you're, you're seeking, maybe you've been a part of a church and you've kind of left a church for whatever reasons, and maybe there are great reasons, valid reasons. I just want to say thank you for just spending this time with us and just kind of pressing into us and allowing us just to speak into your life. It is a privilege and an honor. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian... This message will speak volumes into you. It will speak volumes into you because what we talk about in Luke 15 is is really there are three parables in Luke 15. And the last parable is the one you're probably most familiar with. And we're not going to talk about that one. We're going to talk about the first two. But the point of Luke 15 and the point of all three of these parables is the same. Now I have to tell you before we get into this, uh, when Jesus would speak a parable, and he did it quite often when he would speak a parable it was kind of for shock factor with his audience he would say a parable and he would, he would just kind of make them stop in their tracks like make them scratch their head and say what did he just say he didn't just come right out and say well that's not in the bible it's really not you look it up it's not there i don't even know how to spell that but what he did was he a lot of times he would speak uh, sometimes rather he would speak a parable right at them and in And his audience would be challenged by it, and he was kind of making them stop in the tracks to make them think. And that's exactly what we see here in Luke 15. We'll actually see the audience right here in our text, so I don't have to give you the audience uh, ahead of time. Uh, The Gospel of Luke, just by way of maybe introduction into this specific Gospel, um, this this Gospel was written by a guy by the name of Luke. He was a doctor by trade. That's what he did for a living. But then, uh, because God inspired him to, he became a Gospel writer. So it isn't something that he just said, wow, my lifelong goal is to write and, and write a historical account of everything that Jesus did. That's not. He was kind of doing his thing. He was a doctor. He wasn't looking for esteem because kind of doctors have that dialed in. He wasn't looking everybody patting him on the back and say, wow, Luke, you did a really good job. That wasn't his deal. He was a doctor. He would have had that all by himself. God inspired him to do this. The work, and Luke was a historian. The, the basically, the historical account was funded by a, a guy by the name of Theophilus. And you actually see that in Luke 1.1, 1, 1, and then you also see that in the, uh, the book of Acts. He wrote both. So it was funded by this guy. Luke was kind of ushered into this. He didn't really want to do this, but he had to do this, which I think is incredible because then when you hear his message, you know that it wasn't just for his fulfillment, but it was for the uplifting of the Lord. Let's jump into our text. Luke 15. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 10. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. So there's part of the audience, tax collectors and sinners. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law, here's also part of the audience, they mutter this, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You can just you can just sense their judging attitude right there, that, that they that the Pharisees thought they were better than them and were like, oh, can you believe it? This guy he actually sits and he eats with tax collectors and sinners. Oh, the worst of worst. Why in the world would he do this? You can just sense there's just dripping of judgment and self-righteousness. Verse three. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Verse 8, or suppose a woman, another parable, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, Jesus says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Think about this just for a moment before we actually get into the meat of this text, think about this for a moment. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've committed your life to Christ, that means that when you did so, there was rejoicing in heaven over you. Whether if you were, whether it was a, just a, at a time at your bedside, maybe your parents leading you through the sinner's prayer and you gave your life to Christ or, or maybe you were just a mess and maybe you were, maybe you were an addict and you were just ashamed of everything that had happened and you had been so beaten down that you for the first time looked up to Almighty God and you raised your hands and said, God, I can't do this by myself. There was rejoicing in heaven when you committed your life to Him. That is such a heartwarming thing that that God rejoices over every person. It's not the masses. It's not the masses. It's the individuals. It's when people confess and repent of their sin and they give their life to Christ, the angels rejoice in heaven over you and over me. Now, it says now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. Just in case you haven't been in church, let me give you just a little bit of background as to why this really matters. The idea of tax collectors. The tax collectors are they were a specific uh, group of people who were sent by the Romans, and the Romans basically occupied the whole area at the time. And these tax collectors were sent in by by the Romans. The tax collectors would be Jewish. And the Romans would, they would go in and they'd pick out these Jewish people and they would become the tax collectors. Well, the Romans would go through and because, you know, you've got to have that tax money, the Romans would, would send the tax collector in to gather the tax money. But then as long as the Romans got what they wanted, they didn't care if a tax collector gouged them for just a little bit more. So consequently, they were hated. They were rejected. If a tax collector was coming down the road and he would be he would be the Benedict Arnold of the Jewish people he would be he would be whoever the greatest traitor is that you can imagine he he and every person who would be a tax collector if they're walking down the road everybody would snarl at them and sneer at them and avoid them that's what they would do but then there's this word sinners and i love the I love the fact that that in my Bible look and please look in verse one it's the word uh, sinners is actually in parentheses. It's like Luke is saying, hey, I want, you to kind of, I want you to kind of look at this one a little bit closer. You may not be a tax collector. If you work for the IRS, we still love you. Just change professions, you know. You're a CPA, do something with it. But anyway, but for us, I love it how it has centers in parentheses because you know who this pertains to? All of us. All of us. Is the sinners in this day, they were the they were, in essence, they were anybody who rejected what the Pharisees and teachers of the law had to say. So if if they would question the Pharisees, they would be deemed as quote unquote sinners and they'd be rejected by the religious leaders and by the Pharisees, who were the, the key religious leaders at the time. And yet, because they would be so rejected, look who Jesus is talking to. Look who was so who's so interested in the message of Jesus. Those who are rejected by everybody else. It says now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Because everybody else had given up on him. Everybody else could care less about the tax collectors and the sinners. But Jesus loves each and every one of them. And he loves each and every one of you. And I believe he even loves me. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Such a judgmental attitude. Let's just stop right there, and I'll just kind of put this on the screen, the idea of the religious people, and that would be the Pharisees. Anytime you, have, you just have contact with this kind of person, a self-righteous person, it's contaminating. The, these, these overly religious people, they just contaminate everything around them. That's the reason why people would avoid them. The Pharisees, they would basically create just all of these extra laws to force people to live by. And if you didn't live by them, then you were scolded. And then they would basically they would basically just put their nose up at you and say, Ah, you're not worthy. You're just, quote-unquote, a sinner. No one could ever measure up to these people. Their contact, their contact would contaminate because they were so self-righteous. Just say some things about the Pharisees and that kind of attitude. And by the way, don't please, please don't just dismiss this and saying, "Wow, yeah, we're just gonna bag on some people who aren't here." Because I believe that even some of us, even well-meaning Christians, can have kind of a root of Pharisaical attitude within our hearts if we're honest. And I just want to make sure that we don't just bypass this and say, "Wow, yeah, we'll just all rally around and talk about those religious people." Because the idea is, we might even be one of these religious people, and maybe we don't even know it so let me go down a list and just describing some characteristics of them they always wanted their way when they went into the room they assumed that they were the authority do you assume that you're authority you're the authority you know where this happens this doesn't happen with somebody who just received jesus this happens with a christian or somebody who calls themselves a follower of christ and they've been a christian for 20 or 30 years and what happens is then they look at somebody else who becomes a Christian and they think, wow, wow, you're so messed up. And yet they've forgotten the fact that they were that way one day too. And all of a sudden it becomes all about them and their control and because they're egomaniacs and because it's their self-righteousness and now they're, it's a better than you kind of attitude. Let's make sure that we're not one of those kind of people. They're so arrogant and they're just, they're, and honestly they're self-deceived. They're so arrogant, and they're just, but they're self-deceived because all it, what happens when somebody gets to be arrogant, it's like a flywheel. You just start to deceive yourself more and more and more and more where you become your own sounding board. And I have to tell you, if you're the only person you're listening to, you sound pretty good. And you become more and more self-deceived. And that's what these people, they would only talk amongst themselves. And they... Maybe one of the most difficult and one of the most damning things that they did is they tried to hold the keys to other people's salvation. They tried to hold the keys to other people's salvation. Jesus just wasn't enough for the Pharisees. It wasn't enough. Because if you received Jesus, that means you didn't have to live by the 613 laws that they wanted you to live by. Because if you have Jesus, Jesus says, I am more than enough to fulfill all of your needs at the soul level, at the heart level, at the mind level. I am more than enough. And the Pharisee says, yeah, I don't think so, Jesus, because what about those 613 laws? Which is why the contact with him would contaminate you. And which is why when when you get around or if you are and I just if you are, please, please, please just listen to the rest of this message. Because God has such a better plan for you if you fall into kind of the Pharisee mode like you're better than everybody else and you're the authority and you've been trained and you've sat under this person and you've sat under that person and I've studied and I've done the books and I've done this and blah, 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 blah. All of that is about you and it's not about Him. Not a good place to be. And they, in this in this context, they considered themselves of the 99. They consider themselves of the ninety-nine. And if you look at at this parable, then Jesus told the parable, verse 3, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Does they not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep? They consider themselves of the ninety-nine, but they're not. They were not. The ninety-nine that he's referring to. And it says, those, at the end of that, it says... In verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What he's saying is there's the 99 people who think they have it all together and they don't think they have to repent. And Jesus says, hey, if you're self-righteous, you don't have to, if you think that you don't have to repent, yeah, you're just all on your own and you're basically in your sin and you're doing life your way and it's not going to work out. The second thing is this, with the irreligious people, the irreligious people, that would be the tax collectors and sinners, the contact with them communicates, it communicates grace and acceptance. When Jesus would speak to them and He welcomed them at His feet and He welcomed the prostitute at His feet and the prostitute to be, to sit there and have a, an integral part of His ministry and He would do that. He took the worst of the worst and He helped them. He, 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 He took them in their sin, but He didn't allow them to stay in their sin and He challenged them, but He did it through grace and acceptance. So, it's such an amazing thing, and it cannot be said enough. No matter where you are today, Christ can accept you right where you are, but He certainly doesn't want you to stay there. He takes your, your, your presupposed ideas. He can take your doubts. He can take your fears. He can take your addiction. He can take your jacked up marriage. He can take the fact that you're not engaged in your, with the relationship with your kids like you need to. He can take all of that and make it better, but you can't do it on your own merit. You have to do it by receiving His grace and by receiving His acceptance. He welcomes these people. He welcomes these people, the tax collectors and the sinners, where the righteous people, the contact contaminates. And yet, the irreligious people, the contact communicates love, grace, and acceptance. And yet, some things about the sinners. I would say these are the The down and out people they are those people honestly they 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 are the people that we tend to avoid they are the people who just like leave a trail of baggage behind them and yet everybody can see it and their life is so burdened and their their heart is so heavy that they can't seem to move forward it's it's those type of people that jesus specialized in because he's the only one who can cut that baggage from your past so you can walk into your future The irreligious people. They were, they were avoided this dismissed as being too angry, too stubborn to listen, too skeptical. There were those people. Another thing about this parable, the idea of a shepherd. The shepherd it symbolizes loving lost sheep. Just the shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd, and we've talked about this over the last month or so. During our last series, he is the great shepherd and he loves lost sheep. I love this parable because you know what? I remember when I was the, I was the one sheep. I remember that when I was away from God and I didn't even know I was away from God. And I, I, I was drifting, I was doing my own thing, I was living my own life and I didn't even know how great his grace was and I never accepted his love. But I remember when I was in that place. We aren't born perfect, and you're not born a Christian. You become a Christian by a volitional act of giving your life to Christ. Just because we're born in the South and because the Bible is everywhere doesn't mean that you're a Christian. No more than parking a car in a garage, you know. Or if you go in a garage and you consider yourself a car because you're in the garage. I said that wrong, but I think you know what I mean. (laughs) If not, make it up. The story works. It's, It's good to have a sense of humor when you do this. I'm not perfect either. Don't judge me, the advent of Jesus also, he brought the Great Shepherd of us, the, the coming of Jesus. he brought the Great Shepherd to us. And the advent of Jesus brought this, this idea in the Old Testament. And now if you would hold your place right there in Luke 15 and go back in your Bible to, uh, to Isaiah in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, in verse, or excuse me, chapter 52, verse 13. Hopefully you were laughing with me and not at me. Except for a few, I'm sure. What's amazing about about the advent, the coming of Jesus, is it was prophesied 700 years before Jesus actually came. So when the old testament was was being written and being inspired by the Holy Spirit and the prophet isaiah was was talking about jesus he didn't even know who jesus was but he just knew by this 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 prophecy that that there was going to be someone who's coming this suffering servant was going to be coming and there was going to be someone who would who would take upon the sins of the people of this world in isaiah fifty two this is not on your screen by the way isaiah fifty two verse thirteen it says this about Jesus, the, the suffering servant. It says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will, be raised up in, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there will be many who will be appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man. His form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. And I believe this is the same thing that, that Paul, the Apostle Paul in, in Philippians 2 is saying, there's going to be one day where every single person will bow down, they will bend their knee to Jesus Christ, and they will recognize him as Lord and Savior of this earth. And I think this is what Isaiah is pouring into. He says, understand, there's going to be a day coming. The people don't recognize that he's coming. They didn't, there was nothing about him in his birth that would draw any attention to himself. But I have to tell you, upon his death, his body was so broken and so marred, it was so disfigured, it says there was even away from human likeness. That's the Jesus that, that you and I have to give our lives to. That's the Jesus who, who willingly bore the sins of us, not just the sins of the world in, in a blank, bland, lifeless way, but He bore the sins of your life, your iniquities, your transgressions against God. He took those on, upon the cross. The beating that He deserved, we deserved. So the coming of Jesus and even the birth of Jesus is important, of course. But the advent of Jesus is leading to Easter. Easter. For us, the worst thing we can do in this season is just to reflect upon a baby in a manger. That's a part of the story. That's a, that's a very important part of the story. That is one of the most important parts of the story. But that's not the only story at Christmas. The advent of Jesus would, would yes, he would, be, he would be born a virgin, We'll talk about this more next week with, with Mary and the great story of her life and just the, the, the great struggle that she was invited into but the way that she worshipped through it. Yet we see that with, with with the birth of Jesus and His sinless life and going to the cross and being beaten and, and all of those things and taking the wounds that we deserved. But if we just think of Jesus in light of just His, his birth and not in light of other, every other thing, it just becomes a holiday instead of something we wrap our lives around. I said this probably every year. The point of Christmas is Easter. The point of Christmas is Easter. For you and for me. Luke 19.10 says this. This will be on the screen. It says the Son of Man. You can go back to Luke 15. It says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Let me just ask you this. Do you consider yourself a follower of Jesus? I'll ask it a different way. Has there been a time in your life where you have made a conscious choice to, to basically give your life to Jesus? Those are not the same questions, by the way. For many of us, we we, we, we kind of go through and we... we, we get lost in that. And we think, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus because I attend church and because I read my Bible and because my my mom and my grandma, they would drop me off at VBSs and I was always at a vacation Bible school when I was a kid so now automatically we kind of kind of like immune to the fact that we have to give our life to Jesus and we just kind of accept that we're Christians because of who we associate with. And yet, It takes a choice because Jesus, the Son of Man, that's who this is referring to, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. He, the Son of Man, came to seek and save that what was lost. And we have to place our life in Jesus. We we become a follower of Jesus, a Christian, by making a conscious choice to do so. It's not because we have... We have given this or we've done this or we've gone to this thing or we've come to church and we've given a certain amount of money and I did my devotions and I was a good person and I was a better, I was a better person than I was a bad person and da 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 I mean, there's no salvation in that. But Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and save that what was lost. Some things about the lost sheep. The lost sheep in this parable, it, re- it represents those drifting away. That means maybe even you were... were, It could be even you're a follower of Jesus, that you've given your life to Jesus. There was that moment. It was maybe a crisis moment where you gave your life to Jesus. And and the idea is this, and we know this. This this is something that was battled in the New Testament over and over and over again. But the idea of a lost sheep is just being drifted away. Maybe for you, you're a Christian, and maybe this, this season of Advent, you have to come through and say... Have I drifted away from my responsibility as being the man and leader in my home? Have I drifted away? Have I done what it is that I'm supposed to do as a man to lead and love my wife and to to love and lead my kids well? That's drifting away. Many of us, we, we can be so saturated with work, and we can so deceive ourselves that we're doing the right thing by living at work instead of doing the things that we ought to do at home. It happens all the time. It's the idea of drifting away. It's like there was a time that I was I was walking with Jesus, but then I just I kind of took my eyes off him and I put my eyes on on work and now I'm I'm chasing after my boss's desires instead of the Lord's desires. Or just this drifting away of all of, you know, it was just weird. It was like all I've, I was just raising kids and I was doing my thing and all of a sudden I find myself to just be a chauffeur for all my kids' activities instead of being the, the discipler of my children at home. And now I'm just this chauffeur with a cool hat and a little tie. And yet we, kind of, we just kind of go about their schedule instead of making the priority to be the family shepherds at home with our children. It's easy. It's so easy to drift. Maybe maybe for you, you would consider yourself, you've been away from church, and maybe you kind of grew up in the church. Maybe there was a time you gave your life to Jesus, and yet you just kind of had that slow fade. You kind of drifted away. And maybe it was because somebody said something and, and you used to look up to them, but then they said a word that was just, it was a painful word and it was a, it was a horrible word and it was a word that you just could not get out of your memory. And now that, that word damaged you. And because of that word, that person spoke that careless word, you've drifted away and now you've just had this slow fade away from church. Maybe you, you were in youth group. And then when you got to be college age, or maybe you went to college, or you just went to work, and you just kind of said, yeah, church is something I did when I was a kid, and now you just kind of have the slow fade away. That's the drifting away. That's what that means. Some examples of it. Oftentimes, it's even... And even in this time of year, and I just want to say this gracefully, but even in this time of year, oftentimes what what happens is we kind of live our lives to be mom and dad and not husband and wife. We kind, of, we, we kind of do all we're doing, hey, we're going to get the kids this, we're going to get the kids this, and we're going to go shopping for the kids, we're going to do this for the kids, and we've got all the kids' events, and they're singing here and dancing here and whatever else is going on that you do you know, in your life, and you're running and doing, and, and all of that could be great, and yet what happens even in the midst of all of that chaos is now you're, kind of, you're doing all of these things for your kids, and now you have missed the idea that you're supposed to be a husband to your wife. Or you're supposed to be a wife to your husband. And you're supposed to love them and care for them and invest in them. But I have to tell you, if the foundation of your marriage fractures, so does your kids' security. Think about what you invest in. Especially when it comes to this time of year where it could be so much about the kids and so much about tradition. Don't miss the value of relationships within your home. Then there's the lost coin. Let's talk about it. this is something completely different. The lost sheep would be just the drifting away. The lost coin, something that's interesting about this parable in verse 8, it says, and suppose a woman has ten silver coins. This would pertain so much to the Jewish people because the ten silver coins represent a dowry. And a dowry for a young woman is something that a young woman would be given a dowry and it would be basically basically ten days of of. The value would be 10 days worth of work. And they would either put them in a headdress or put them around a necklace. So when this story is being told, they would totally understand in their culture. We don't really do that in ours, but I'm just trying to invite you into theirs a little bit. They would totally understand this. So so it would be so easy for them to, to understand that suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? That they would understand. Oh, this represents a dowry, and a dowry would be it would basically the the dad would give the the young woman a dowry, and it was a way of starting out her marriage. So instead of starting out with like ramen noodles, she'd be able to start out with like mac and cheese. You know, like like craft mac and cheese. You know, not great value. I mean, we're living the life here. We're talking craft. You know. It's like, so she wouldn't have to start bare bones, and so kind of a blessing going into their marriage that she would be given this dowry that would kind of help them kind of get started. and It would be something that would benefit their marriage going forward. You know, so they could be like George and Wheezy living in the deluxe apartment in the sky. I don't know how that fits, but somewhere. Some people get it. I don't know. Um, Where am I? Here I am. So the idea of a lost coin is kind of careless living. It's not, not drifting away. It's like I was here. It's just like careless living. It's like I'm doing what I want to do, and I don't care anymore. You just don't care anymore. You just kind of give it up. This is the, this is the marriage, and maybe this is your marriage. I don't know. Maybe this is a friend's marriage. Maybe you need to give them this message or just how, however it works for you, but maybe it's a friend's marriage who's just on the rocks right now, and you're just ready to just cave it in and it's so careless to think that if we just do away with this thing everything will get better it won't get better it will not and it's such a careless idea i think of i think of students i think that the age of students and it could be such a careless thing for our students to just totally ignore their parents advice that's so careless just by show of hands, and just to comfort maybe our students. How many, stu- how many people a- around their high school age, wish they would have listened to their parents a little bit more? Did you see that? Sorry, y'all, not y'all. The other y'all behind you. That's, that's careless. And it's, it's oftentimes we choose these things. We choose them ourselves. It's for me to say, you know what? I don't care what my parents have to say. I don't care what my youth pastor has to say. I don't care what my pastor has to say. I don't care what my grandma and grandpa have to say. And all of that does is it just wages war on your heart and on your mind. And you so deceive yourself into thinking that you've got it all figured out. And let me tell you, you don't. Never met a teenager that does. Some other examples of this carelessness and somebody who just has uncontrolled anger. You're going to be put in situations this Christmas season because you have family and you have friends and you have co-workers. You're going to be put in situations where people are going to make you angry. If you are someone who is prone to to uncontrolled anger where you just get angry and then all of a sudden you, you you lash before you think... Think about how careless this is. That's what this lost coin... It was just this girl who had her dowry and was just kind of careless. She had it and all of a sudden it was lost. But it meant so much to her that she... What did she do? She she lit a lamp and she swept the house and she, she couldn't wait to find it. And then once she found it, she rejoiced and wanted to rejoice with other people. I just want to say if that's somebody... If maybe you have the, the issue of anger or maybe you just have this this... Maybe there's even... A tendency to to err sexually. And maybe maybe for you, you just maybe you're just doing your own thing and you just don't care what God's word says. Maybe you're maybe you're kind of stuck in in the realm and, and I don't even have the statistics, but they're out just overwhelming. But maybe maybe you're kind of caught in in, in the lure of porn. I just want you to know. That is so careless. And what, what you take in a moment of fulfillment robs your marriage, robs your generations for years. And it, it wages a war against your very soul. And the soul of everyone else that's around you. And it is so careless but just as, as this this young girl that's personified here, just as, as she, she has this coin that she loses, but yet she realizes, and maybe that's what we need to is just realize that we've lost something, that we've been careless. We need to go back. We just need to go back to the Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus, you to need, need to go back and get on your knees before God privately and just say, God, I just confess this is sin before you. I repent of this. I don't want to do this anymore. Please empower me to overcome this sin. Maybe that's what... You need to do this advent season. Maybe it's just a time to just recount your life and reflect upon maybe the sins that are waging a war in your relationships and in your mind and in your heart. There's something I want to fly through very, very quickly. I want us to go back to Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And I'm going to finish the message with just a reading of all of Isaiah 53. And I'm going to, I'm going to replace one of the verses. I read from the New International, Version, New International Version. But I'm going to replace verse 4 with the New Living Translation. And I'm going to do so because I think that that oftentimes in this translation it just kind of what happens is if you don't understand it, you just bypass it and think it's not important, but the the NLT puts it in such a way that it is so easy to understand and much more easily understandable than the NIV. so I want us to do that and And before we read this, I want to invite the band up. And we're just going to sing a song in response to this, but I'm just, going to, I'm just going to read this chapter over you. This chapter talks about Jesus. Mind you, this is approximately 700 years before the birth of Jesus. But this chapter is all about Jesus. And the beauty of this is Isaiah, he didn't even understand everything when he was writing it. But God was speaking through him. And he knew that he had to write it, and that it was fulfilled. Let's read it. Do you have your Bible or a device, however you are going to read it. Verse, or verse 1, chapter 53. He has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of the, ground, out of the dry ground. He had no beauty, this is Jesus, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Yet, this is from the NLT yet it was our weakness or weaknesses he carried it was our sorrows that weighed him down and we thought his troubles were a punishment from god punishment for his sins but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was upon him that is jesus And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. For the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will. This is Yahweh. This is the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his land. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities or their sins. Verse 12. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That is us, church.